You recognize what movie that is? Despite the sound quality, it was not a Japanese movie dubbed <laughs> over with English. That was on, right? Um, what movie was that? God's Not Dead. Yeah. Very, uh, in fact, they have a, a couple of uh, movies in that area, and I think they're coming out with the third, God's Not Dead. I would recommend uh, watching them. It's great if you take a break from the uh, normal intake of keeping up with the Kardashians. Take in uh, God's Not Dead there. But it's, a, it's a somewhat of a, um, it, it's a deeper uh, theologically and intellectual movie. It's dealing with some really big ideas. You've got in that scene a, a professor of philosophy and he's arguing and he's trying to, what he's trying to do is remove, did you hear him, the blinders from the closed-minded Christian students that are in his class. He's trying to get them to see um, beyond the Christian faith, which he would argue is contrary to science, contrary to in the intellect, and is really that disease. Fascinating how that, that young Christian student believes and, and seeks to um, give a different voice, a different perspective, some different ideas that really challenge, um, and I would say, remove the, the blinders of atheism or a lack of belief. But it deals with these big ideas, and some would call these big ideas worldviews. Worldviews, this, this uh, concept of how you view the world. A, a worldview is just is exactly what it sounds like. It's our particular philosophy of life, our overall concept of the world that profoundly affects how we see most of the fundamental questions of life, like who we are and what we're made for. Is there purpose? Is there a God? Is there an afterlife? What happens when you die and where are you from? And I think oftentimes we don't see worldviews. We, we kind of just assume and we argue and we discuss and we live in the midst of them. And yet if you pull back for just a moment, you'll see that our worldviews matter profoundly in the day-to-day. That in fact, our, our convictions about these big ideas, these, our, our understanding of these big ideas in, in a day-to-day -day sense have a profound effect how we handle different circumstances of life. How we respond, whether to the good things or the bad things in life, like how do we respond to death and loss? How do we respond in times of loneliness or true love? How do we respond in times of divorce or remarriage? In times of prosperity and poverty that oftentimes, and you could hear it with, with the, the professor kind of weighing in that he's come to the conclusion that there is no God because of these convictions that he has at this deep and profound level. What we're going to do this morning is look at a passage 
that where Paul says in Romans 8, he pulls back kind of a a 30,000 foot uh, picture and he talks about the world in which we live in. And he talks about faith in God and he talks about why we're here and he talks about where we're going in this very grand and profound sense. And what I'd like us to do this morning is look at these passages of scripture, unpack them a little bit, and then I'm going to share three stories of uh, individuals, of friends, still have a relationship with them. And I want us to begin to see how our worldviews, our big ideas, our convictions have a profound effect, shape um, how we respond to different circumstances in life. Think we can try that? I'm going to try this anew and see how it goes and see how it works with you. All right. I know you lost an hour of sleep, so you got to stay with me. All right. Ready? All right. Let's turn to Romans 8. And uh, we began uh, Romans 8 with this, uh, the first half, which was talking about mindset. And, we're, and he's going to continue to talk about mindset as well. But he's going to do it not as much in a day-to-day uh, mindset, but more again, he's going to pull back. And we're starting in verse 18. And what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to hear how Paul talks about the world and creation in terms of past, present, and future. So listen for these big ideas in the context of past, present, and future. In fact, he's going to start with future, right? Just to make it a little bit more confusing for us. So it's not neatly past, present, future. He's going to start with future. But listen to these ideas of what Paul is saying because he wants to set us up to really understand God's work in our lives. Romans 8, starting at verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Looking at the future. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Do you know who the children of God is? Look at your neighbor and go, believe it or not, but you are the child of God. Now, it's, he's saying we're waiting for the children of God to be revealed. Aren't you guys here? Don't we know you? Haven't you? That so? What does he mean by that? What he means is the truest part of who you are. The the essence of who you were created to be has not yet been revealed. Do you know that? That that there's a there's a uh, you could say it like this. There's this this broken part, part of the fall of who we are. We're 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 here. We're revealed, but someday Jesus will come back, and then we will receive. We will restore, be restored from the inside out. Our hearts, our souls, our minds, our bodies. We will be restored when Christ returns. 
And that is when you, as the true sons and daughter, children of God, you, who you truly are, will be revealed. But we're not there yet. Okay? We're not there yet. And in fact, in one sense, uh, in a grand sense, you're not there yet. And the world is not there yet. You see how he's, he's pointing to the future. He's pointing to a day. He's trying to lift up our eyes to see the grand story of God beyond our present circumstance. Let's read that again, verse 19. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. He's dealing with some past now. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, God. Listen to God's intent and motive. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning. Is he talking about past or present? Yes. We have been groaning, and we are groaning, and it's not a mild groan. It is a groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Still true today. Right up to the present time, there is this groaning, this pain. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. The first fruits of the Spirit are some of the, the, the blessing and the favor and the restoration that we will receive someday in the future, but it creeps into our present and we get some of God, some of who he is, some of the life that we will live, some of our true identity right now, the first fruits, we have that, we relish in that, and yet at the same time, do you hear, we also groan with creation. Why? Because we haven't been revealed yet. Jesus hasn't come back a second time. We're, we're groaning. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship or daughterhood, the redemption of our bodies, not just inward restoration, inward liberation, but also outward and physical. For in this hope we were saved. Now he's moving to the future again. But hope, uh, but if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. Let's pause right there for a moment. So Paul is dealing with these big and grand ideas of past, present, and future. He's trying to lift up our eyes and see what is before us. And really, in a grand sense, he's telling us the story of God, the story of creation, your and my story. 
And let's think about this for just a moment, unpack these passages of scripture, one from uh, the idea of past. Look at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration. What he's talking about there is the fall. What he's talking about there is in the early chapters of scripture in Genesis tells us that the world that we live in today is not the world that was originally created. There's a, there's a couple of worldview questions that Paul is dealing with in this moment. One is, how did we get here? Where are we from, right? Another one is, what's wrong with the world? And Paul is saying that, um, that this world, the pain and the struggle, did you, know, did you know that God didn't create us, create the world in this pain and the struggle? A friend that I wanted to talk about with you today, we'll call him Chase, not his real name. I've known Chase for a, a number of years, almost 10 years now. And of course, he knows that I'm a pastor, um, and, and he, I've known that he's had pretty strong convictions that are not from a Christian worldview, that he would not consider himself a believer, haven't really unpacked the details, and I've sensed in kind of this longer relationship that we have together that it's, it, I shouldn't initiate. There's a deep sensitivity that's there with Chase. And so just seeking to be a, a good friend uh, of him. Well, the end of last year, we finally had this conversation, this breakthrough. Um, and he initiated. He never asks me about my job or anything like that. But he actually initiated. And, and I think he just wanted to be straightforward about uh, where he's at spiritually. And so as we talked and we began to talk about faith and church and God, he finally said, well, you know, I've got a big issue with God and this is what it is. I just can't believe that there can be a loving God with so much suffering in the world. I won't do it. I can't do it. He said when I was in high school, he had experienced some hardship and difficulty and strain. He said, I went to a priest and I asked him, how in the world can a good God allow all of this? And the priest said, he talked about free will. And Chase said, and that's not good enough. So Eric, don't talk to me about free will. I realized with Chase, these are significant and important convictions and they're rooted in, in these grand ideas of where we're from and what is wrong with the world. And someday, it wasn't the appropriate day with Chase. And I'm praying for a day. But someday I would like to talk to him at that deeper and that broader instance. And I would like to talk to him about 
what God's story of our world is. For me, when I read the beginning chapters of Genesis, there's one word that is so beautiful, that is repeated over and over again. When God is sharing the story, it's actually Hebrew poetry, he's sharing the story of how we got here. Do you know what that word, that one word that is repeated, almost like a rhythm in the story of creation, do you know what that word is? It's good. And God created it as good. And I look back at that story and I say, yeah, there is much that I don't understand, but I do understand this, that God in his creative work, where we're from, that God saw all that he made and it was very good, that this is this reflection of God's heart and God's character and God's love and you feel that and that flows from that. That's Genesis 1 and 2, but Genesis 3 deals with the fall. And someday I'd like to talk to Chase about free will. Would something that I've thought a lot about. I think in the heart of a reasoned Christian faith, it's important that we say God created you and I in his image. And what that means isn't actually a physical image, right? That doesn't mean that God stands upright and walks like us. What does that mean? That means in some way, shape, or form, our hearts and our souls were created in his image. And part of that means he gave us the ability to choose. That we could respond to his love and respond to his goodness or reject his love and reject his goodness. And that much of the angst and the groaning and the difficulty flows from that Genesis 3 when God said, cursed is the ground because of you, because of the rebellion. Through painful toil you will eat food from it. And I realize that God invites us again and again. He's inviting Chase and he's inviting you and I to a, a response of belief, a response or this mindset that we will trust God in what he has said about our past, where we're from, about the story of creation and the fall, and that he invites us to that belief, to that trust. If we're going to really live a life, the first fruits of the Spirit, if we're going to live that vibrant life today, it's rooted in this idea of belief. That we say, God, I'm listening. I'm paying attention and I believe what you are saying about the world around me, about my life, 
And even about those painful moments. Paul talks about not only the past, but he talks about the present. And did you notice that there's quite a bit of groaning in this passage of Scripture? Yes? So creation is groaning, right? And who else is groaning? You and I are groaning, right? Um, But yet, in the midst of the groaning, there's also this idea of expectation. That the Christian faith never downplays or sugarcoats or denies the reality of suffering or even that it's a real struggle. And yet at the same time, it says there's more to the struggle. There's more to the pain than simply the immediate. In fact, if you look at verse 19, Paul starts that way with glory and suffering. He says, I consider our present suffering, not to minimize it, not to downplay it, but it's not worth comparing with that glory that will be revealed in us. That the Christian worldview is that, the, that our suffering or our difficulty, our strength, that's not all there is. That's not actually even the center of the story. But when we get this picture, this idea of what God is working within us and what God is working in creation, then in this beautiful way, suffering becomes less significant, less central, less dominating in our lives. The second friend that I wanted to introduce you to, her name, we'll call her Rebecca. And Rebecca has, in the midst of, I would say, suffering. She has been, uh, she would believe, as I do, that she has been unjustly incarcerated for over a year now and some years to go. And that she has been removed uh, from her life, from her husband, from her children, and from her grandchildren in a very difficult place. And truth be told, there were moments trying to walk with Rebecca going, God, how in the world could you allow this to happen? What, I thought you were a God of justice, how could you allow this injustice to happen? Truth be told, there's been profound moments of wrestling and struggle, and if you will, a groaning in the midst of that. Not only with her, but her family, um, her friends, her loved ones, groaning on her behalf. And yet, I have to say at the same time, there's been this beauty in response that she's had. That she's been able to lean into God and seek, yes, she's wrestled with God, and yet she's been able to trust God and lean into God. I would believe 
because of some of these big convictions that she has that we would say worldview. One of those uh, questions, one of those ideas is who is God? And is he at work in this world? Not just does God exist, but who is he? And I know that Rebecca's conviction is that God is at work even in the midst of the suffering and this groaning. This conviction that God, even though sometimes it doesn't always feel, and Rebecca is not experiencing this all the time, that God has this redemptive purpose that he is working in this world and in her and through her. She has this conviction that God is good, that God knows her, that he loves her, and perhaps she can't connect all the dots in her understanding and seeing uh, and all of what has happened to her, and yet she has this unrelenting conviction that the Father in this beautiful way is working within her and in the midst when I went to see her, got to see um, that, uh, interact with her, and I got to see a little bit of her relationship with these other uh, women, these other inmates. And I got to see how beautiful the ministry that she had to the other inmates that were there. And she wouldn't even call it a ministry. She's just loving on these other inmates. And I can see this beautiful role of God's redemptive purposes of her responding in a way. Is there groaning? Absolutely. And yet there is this expectation and trust that God's got it. I use the word receive God's desired response is that we would receive even in the midst of the things that we don't understand that we would receive the good and the bad as Job says and that we would receive and believe God's grace God's mercy God's purpose even in the groaning. And then finally, future. That to believe in God, there's this idea of, I would say, a patient trust. That we trust God, yes, not only in the present, but also in the future. Another worldview question is, how in the world does this all end up? Does this end up in nuclear war? Does uh, this end up when the, the sun finally burns the earth together? How does this all end up? And in fact, the Christian worldview has this profound story and promise of the world. The third friend I, I wanted to share with you is, is Philip. 
He was an elder at my last church. And as he was serving as an elder, he's also an ear, nose, and throat doctor. Um, he was diagnosed with cancer. And it was a diagnosis and the stage of the cancer where it was of the, the nature that the other doctors said to him, you need to get your life in order. Uh, this was over 10 years ago. And it was devastating, not just to Phil, Philip and his family, but also to our community of faith. And we sought to surround him and love him and to pray for him. And I also got to, to watch Phil, to journey just a little bit with him. And I was absolutely amazed at Philip's beautiful response in the midst of this devastating news. In fact, I could find very little why God in Phil, almost none, despite my efforts to pull it out. Uh, almost none, woe is me. Uh, none of that. But there was this response of almost opportunity to journey deeper. His kids were young. They had not gone to college yet. And, but, and yet almost this opportunity to journey deeper with the Lord. And as people prayed for Phil, I began to realize that he began to minister to others more so than really they were ministering to him. And his response to this diagnosis was pro profoundly affected by his conviction of how this world ends and what is waiting for him and for us. And the story, the conviction, the biblical Christian worldview is that there is not all there is that there is so much more, that God has not given up on this world and he's not given up on us, that God is at work restoring all things. You can hear it in the passages of scripture, this, this restoration, this idea of God working and someday we will be in his presence someday Phil will be restored and renewed whether in this life or the life to come I haven't talked with Phil for uh, several years now and I just uh, had to make sure that we were still friends on Facebook and he's still alive he's still thriving He's still living incredibly. I, I, I actually don't know all the details of, uh, of the story, but there's this beautiful expectation and with his kids there. And I would say the mindset that he has us on is a mindset of hope. Paul says, hope is no hope if you can see what you've hoped for. He's saying, but I want you to see. I want you to believe. I want you to trust in God's words what he is doing, what he has said you will do. 
and the glory that you will receive will far outweigh any circumstance in this life. If you open up to the last part, I just wanted us to take in some of these beautiful verses and ministries that the Lord has for us. Look at verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through worldless, world, wordless groans. Boy, there's a lot of groaning in this passage. Right? Groaning of creation, groaning of our inward beings, and who else is groaning? Do you see a ministry that the Holy Spirit has for you and I? Did you know that the Spirit of God is praying and interceding for you? Verse 27, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Do you know that we get to pray that the Spirit of God would intercede for us? How that works in terms of the Trinity, I can't tell you. But all I can tell you is that the Holy Spirit is praying for you. And do you know with my friend Chase, I pray that my prayers, I try and join my prayers with the Holy Spirit for Chase. Because I know that the Spirit is interceding for him inviting him to that idea of belief and faith. Verse 28. Verse 28 is also another ministry of the Trinity. And we know that in all things, God, oftentimes when Paul uses God, he's talking about God the Father, works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. That verse 28, that's the one that I would say is the top five verses to memorize, right? Because what that verse is saying, that this great and incredible and awesome God, do you know in every circumstance, good or bad, difficult or glorious, Whatever it is, he is working for your good. Why? That's who he is. We saw that in creation. He's a God who works in the good. And right now, whether you believe it or not, whether you feel it or not, he is for you, he is with you, and he is working for your good. And then look at verse 31. 
What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Jesus is also interceding for us. Do I know how that works out in terms of Trinity? I do not. But I know this. He is my high priest. He's your high priest. And in some beautiful and incredible way, you have the Spirit of God and the Son of God interceding for you before the throne room of God. And I'm praying that for my friend Rebecca. I'm joining in, you could call it the prayers and the intercession of the Godhead for my friend and for me. This beautiful dynamic that God is for us, that God knows us, that God is inviting us into this first fruits of the Spirit, this idea of a life that is connected with the Trinity. And then it ends with these incredible verses here. Look at verse 37. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm convinced, friends, that in whatever circumstance, if we hold the mindset of God, the, the trust, the belief of who he is and where we end up, in all circumstances, we can live in his love.